So let's uh, maybe start with, um, you know, given the topics on hybrid IT, probably a good place to start is let's come to a common definition of what hybrid IT is, and I'm not going to get into philosophical debates as to what's hybrid IT, you know, our definition versus somebody else's definition. Main thing is just so we all kind of know what we're talking about here. So in essence, hybrid IT, as illustrated here, is, is essentially an IT organization that's providing services to their users that could, you know, be coming from um, IT zone data center, um, whether it's uh, traditional IT assets, uh, that have been service enabled or whether it's you know something that uh, is a private cloud uh, we're not going to try to draw the distinction here um, and then externally aggregating services from public uh, services providers or public cloud providers um, and, and that could include software as a service or other types of application services infrastructure services and really um, anything else and you could expand this to include you know, business process outsourcing and, and things like that. So, so essentially, it's it's um, more of a services-based um, model. It's not really something that's all that different from what you know we've been talking about for for years and years um, in the industry. I mean, um, I think Gartner coined the term real-time IT back uh, around 2000 or so. Um, you know, we talk about uh, cloud-based IT. But really, kind of the key drivers here are it's um, you know number one um, around increasing um, IT's ability to be more agile and flexible in terms of meeting the the you know the ongoing needs of the businesses, uh, the business customers that they serve. Um, it's it's certainly the hybrid flavor and hybrid aspect comes into sort of recognizing the reality that we are now talking about a situation where. You know, as opposed to in the past, where maybe IT dealt primarily with a few, a handful of few, um, you know, large um, IT providers, um, it's now uh, much more fragmented, and it's a lot of different um, uh, specialist uh, providers um, who are delivering, you know, value in a number of different ways, whether it's on-prem, whether it's um, increasingly um, over the internet. And, and certainly, um, hybrid IT reflects the reality of what um, IT budgets have looked like in the, in the, the ongoing trend, which is um, to do more with less. So, you know, more of the spending is, is um, you know, weighted uh, more heavily to the OPEX side of things. Uh, there's less, you know, money for CAPEX, and a, as a result, um, you know, vendors have tended to respond in kind by, you know, driving more of a services type of, um, of uh, delivery model around um, uh, in addition or in replacement of the um, you know the traditional IT um, IT types of um, offerings that they had. So how it works, um, you know, now that we've kind of come to a common definition, how it works is essentially you know IT acts as an aggregator of these different services, uh, provides a single point uh, of uh, delivery support, single throat the choke. You know, uh, so essentially IT is the go-to organization within uh, the company or within the government uh, agency, whatever the case may be, to source all IT needs, even if ultimately um, those IT solutions are being provided by an external provider. Why now? Um, it's um, a number of different things, but essentially, you know, when you think about it, hybrid IT, the, the basic model here, we've been talking about it for quite some time. You know, we've been talking about the notion of service catalogs and, and things like that. And to a great extent, that's uh, kind of the basis for, you know, IT services management. Um, so really, you know, hybrid IT is, a, is an extension, a natural evolution of that, um, accelerated by um, cloud types of capabilities. And, and so really, you know, cloud has had a big impact on this thinking and it, not so much from the technology aspects of cloud. I mean, from a technology standpoint, a lot of cloud uh, technologies, um, or at least the basic premise, have been around for a long time, you know, think timeshare. But it's more of the business models, IT applying the business models of uh, cloud services delivery, lifecycle management uh, to, quote unquote, cloud enable how they uh, deliver value within the organization. 
So what are the different types of um, hybrid IT business models? Well, generally they're going to be uh, some combination of um, all of you know all of the different service delivery approaches, which we'll start with. So um, it may well be okay. Where am I sourcing the you know uh, the different um, IT capabilities? And increasingly, IT is going to become kind of a take on sort of a portfolio management um, type of uh, capacity in terms of how you manage your service catalog, how you manage your different vendors, you know what you choose to develop internally, what you choose to source um, externally. And it's going to be dynamic. You're going to be, you know, mixing, matching, and, and swapping out vendors as time goes on. But you know, it might be a combination of, for example, okay, my CRM um, is uh, provided by Salesforce. Um, you know, that's a SaaS type offering. Um, but my uh, or my financials, my finance and accounting system. Um, which maybe as an IT organization I want to integrate into my Salesforce so I can do a quote to collect type of solution. But perhaps my um, finance and accounting service is running on-prem, um, you know, maybe it's Oracle Financials or whatever the case may be. But in terms of your users who are consuming, let's say the, the finance department or the sales department, they don't really have to know, they don't really have to care whether you know the service they're consuming is running on-prem or whether it's being sourced from an external provider, you know they have a common set of um, of uh, provisioning approaches, a common set of uh, request approaches, a common set of support approaches in terms of how they interface with it. So you know a lot of this kind of applies more to how are you going to service enable you know some um, new software uh, capability you're developing. Um, whether it's a mobile app, uh, um, whether it's a, or whether it's a legacy piece of software that you want to, you know, quote unquote, put more of a cloud delivery model on in front of, and so you'll need to think about, okay, if it's a legacy application, um, okay, how do I kind of create an on-demand offering of that? Um, you know, probably, you know, that's where you're going to start thinking about, okay, I want to virtualize it. Okay, do I want to virtualize and run it on my own on-prem, you know, VMware environment, or do I want to kind of move that to the new OpenStack environment and I'm slowly kind of pulling out of the lab, or is it something where, you know, from a cost-effectiveness standpoint, I want to put it on Amazon Web Services or Microsoft Azure. And so how you respond to each of those is not so much about what the technical capabilities are of each of those different um, ways in terms of how you can host your instance, but more around what your policies are. So, you know, for, for example, we deal a lot with uh, federal government agencies and, uh, you know, a pretty common policy would be as they're going through this thinking is, okay, if this um, legacy application that I want to virtualize, uh, if I'm deciding between Amazon or Azure and um, in-house, I need to think as an agency what are the policies around this application and the data that will be residing within the application. So if it's going to be confidential or greater, then perhaps my policy is that I run, want it running in-house or at a specialty provider, whereas if it's uh, unclassified data, then I go with the lowest cost solution. Um, other elements that will come into there are uptime, SLAs, geography, and, and things like that. Uh, very likely you're going to continue to offer up software that is simply downloaded to a desktop or increasingly to a mobile device, um, but oftentimes and more increasingly that software is going to have hooks into a back-end service, um, you know, whether it's some kind of um, local um, analytics package that has hooks back into some big data um, service or some risk analysis solution. Um, that's uh, running on a point-of-sale device, on a mobile device, you know, that ties back into a risk analysis uh, cloud service, you're going to see combinations of things. And in fact, very much, you know, nature of the hybrid aspect of um, hybrid IT is not just that you're going to have a mix of different types of applications, but that even the applications themselves may um, well have hybrid models in terms of how they are managed and delivered. The next aspect to think about is, okay, how am I going to account for the value that I, uh, that I as an IT organization um, am, am uh, providing uh, to, my to my end user organization or to my end users within my, my company or my agency? 
And so, again, this goes, uh, you know, hand in glove with some of the considerations we just talked about. So, you know, obviously, if it's a SaaS type application that you are sourcing from um, Salesforce, um, how you charge that back to your internal sales and marketing departments is probably going to be very similar to um, how you're uh, doing the cost accounting of that from, uh, from Salesforce, although you may well add some overhead associated with, you know, things you're doing, perhaps you're advertising, you know, uh, an integration that you did with your accounting system or just uh, for the front end desk, uh, for the front end help desk support that you're providing. Whereas if you've got, um, you know, a service that you're offering up that is more um, based on resources consumed, you know, perhaps it's storage, um, it's, you know, compute would be kind of the classic examples of this, uh, but it could just be sort of like the traditional timeshare model, you know, those are going to tend to be more usage and consumption based. Um, you may have uh, cases where, okay, I've got some kind of, you know, service, maybe it's a risk analysis service that I'm providing to, you know, maybe you're an IT organization in, the, in a large bank or credit card processing company, and you've got a, you know, big risk analysis solution that uh, you've built out, um, you know, and you want to enable this for a number of different internal user departments, there may be some initial training that's required for that. So, you know, perhaps in terms of your chargeback or showback model, you want to include the amount of time that you need to, you know, work with those individual departments to do training, to do setup, to do, you know, maybe initial customization, et cetera. And then from that point on, you know, charge on a usage or, or subscription type basis. If you're getting economies of scale, as you, as you get more and more users on it, then you'll likely want to pass on you know, your cost savings to your internal users. And certainly if you're providing, if you're developing services that in turn your internal customer, whether it's marketing department or some line of business, is then, uh, you know, make, uh, exposing to their external customers, then you need to think about how your customer is going to bill for the value that is being provided through that. So you need to think about what are the different payment mechanisms that you need to support for this. And again, as we talked about with service delivery approaches, typically you're going to have all of these in one shape or fashion um, across um, your entire services portfolio. So as we kind of think through this, and we've talked about it from a kind of a how it works and some of the major considerations from a business model perspective, what are the key um, areas of concern, um, key areas that um, that uh, need to be, you know, thought about in terms of uh, how you transform your organization, how you transform your processes. Because obviously, you know, as you move to a hybrid IT business model, it, it sort of uh, demands or uh, necessitates that your um, the business model of how your IT organization is going to need to adapt um, to to fit uh, that that uh, you know this hybrid IT service delivery model. So what are some of the key concerns here? And this is a very interesting study that was done recently by IDC where they um, interviewed you know, hundreds of different IT executives in different parts of the world. Um, and the main question here was, what do you see as the most important roles for the central IT organization going forward? And you know, it's uh, maybe a little bit difficult to read, but I, I'm going to kind of highlight the uh, top three or four um, responses here. So 21% of them said um, the most important role for central IT is to protect sensitive data and manage business risk from internal and uh, internal IT and public cloud services, right? So it really speaks to, you know, the concerns of, okay, as I add more and more providers, as more and more of these providers are coming from external sources, um, as my catalog of services becomes much more dynamic, changing over time, you know, that uh, naturally introduces more opportunities for risk. And so, you know, I need to be able to scale up how I manage that risk um, and, uh, and, and in, in many cases automate it. So that's one of the key things that, uh, you know, IT executives are, are thinking about. And we certainly hear a lot of, of that uh, sort of topic when we're talking with um, um, with IT organizations as well. The second key thing really speaks to kind of the, you know, uh, wanting to make their internal IT operations and development arms um, much more agile. 
much more flexible in terms of meeting the um, evolving needs of internal users. So uh, the response here is 17% said, you know, hey, we see one of the most important roles is maintaining a centralized app, dev, test, QA, you know, methodology, resources, staff. So it speaks to essentially how they're going to operate their um, their operation side from a governance standpoint, from a value delivery standpoint, from a time to market standpoint, if you will, um, to, you know, again, be more competitive, quite frankly, with, um, you know, when LOBs are looking for a solution, uh, recognizing that uh, many times LOBs are, you know, not a uh, locked-in customer anymore, that they have choices. They can go out and procure and, in fact, have. And that's been the basis for the growth of Shadow IT. The third one here, which is actually tied um, with the, the last one, is around spin management. So it's, um, we want to, we think the most important uh, key thing for IT to provide in terms of value is optimizing IT spending across the organization and charge back to LBs is appropriate. So, you know, that's not only for the services that IT is directly um, providing to the LBs, but also for the services that IT is um, supporting, but may be directly, you know, acquired from uh, an external provider. Um, we talked, to, for example, about, um, um, you know, Salesforce.com, right? Um, that's an external provider, but IT is providing value in terms of, you know, ideally a governance framework around that, um, you know, potentially doing integrations with um, internal, you know, finance and accounting type solutions, and then also providing that first line of support, right? So, so a lot of this is, you know, how can we from an IT organization um, sort of uh, deal with some of these nightmare scenarios that we're increasingly seeing in the news, where the CFO gets the bill for the Amazon Web Services and it's, you know, gone up incredibly high. It raises big ruckus and what turns out is there's a bunch of engineers, IT folks, business folks that have set up, you know, their own personal instances on AWS. Uh, many times uh, just left them running, forgot they are on. Uh, a lot of the same issues that, uh, you know, we used to talk about years ago in terms of virtual sprawl with VMware farms you know, we're now seeing cloud sprawl with um, infrastructure services. And the fourth thing, which I'm, I'm going to come back to this at, towards the end of the presentation, is um, how can, you know, the first three are around kind of transforming the IT organization. The fourth one is really around how can we, the IT organization, help um, our lines of businesses transform themselves. So what it says specifically is, support the day-to-day -day operations of customer-facing and revenue-generating online services. Um, so, uh, and, and again, you know, the kind of the key theme is, here is um, IT is going through a transformation itself, but the organizations within that, that they are within, that they you know, support as their own cu customers, are also going through similar transformations around the services economy and um, IT by addressing those issues themselves is in a good position to help the uh, the rest of the organization deal with that as well. So let's kind of um, put these um, different imperatives into into three major buckets and, and uh, talk about them in a, in a little bit more detail. Um, as we see it, there's really kind of the three pillars of hybrid IT management are number one, um, how do I reduce the risk uh, associated with this operating model? Uh, to my organization, so around the governance, risk, compliance management. Uh, number two is how can I, uh, not only for the IT organization, but for the organization overall, how can I help optimize license management, spend management, um, both on the delivery side as well as on the cost side. And then from uh, an IT operations management standpoint, how can I improve the flexibility, the agility, uh, the cost effectiveness of my IT organization in terms of, you know, being um, more uh, customer focused um, in terms of providing, you know, value um, to the organization that, uh, you know, cannot be sourced readily from an external provider or from some packaged uh, software capability, right? So this might be developing custom apps, um, you know, running services that are mission critical to the organization, those sorts of things. So some of the key tenets, I won't run through all of these, but with uh, cloud governance or hybrid 
IT governance, um, you know, generally key tenets of, um, of uh, any good governance policy is first of all uh, defining, communicating, and enforcing, you know, different usage policies. So, you know, this is becoming in, in exceptionally important in terms of uh, mitigating, you know, concerns around shadow IT, right? This is something that comes up a lot in our conversations with enterprise organizations as they say, you know, hey, we have a shadow IT problem. You know, sometimes we hear it in, in, in that manner. Um, whereas the reality is, you know, shadow IT is just simply, you know, this is something that's been going on with decades. It's how generally innovation happens within an organization. Um, but uh, so it's more of this situation, how do you deal with that from a governance standpoint? So, you know, a lot of times you've got uh, cloud sprawl because, you know, for example, take a simple thing like document collaboration. You know, maybe you have one business, um, maybe the marketing department is using Box, you know, to do document collaboration. Maybe you've got a group over in um, engineering, pockets in engineering that are using Dropbox. Um, IT thinks everybody wants SharePoint, and so they're working on a SharePoint solution. And then a lot of other people are coming to IT saying, we need some kind of document collaboration solution, right? So one of the things that IT can do in that very simple example is to, you know, as uh, you see these pockets of in innovation, right, to, to work with those different groups, figure out, okay, what is, we don't need five different document, you know, document collaboration solutions. What is the best one? You know, is it Box? Is it SharePoint? Maybe there's an argument for, you know, for, for both of them, but certainly you probably don't need three, four, or five, right? Um, so that's around kind of communicating policies so that when users need a document collaboration solution, you know, they know what the official position is in terms of which ones they can get, uh, which ones they can order, et cetera. Risk management, how do you deal with risk management? Well, I guess first you have to define what the risks are. So there's, you know, risk of data leakage, there's risks of, um, you know, um, things associated generally with, with that. Uh, but there's also risk in terms of uh, not being compliant with uh, regulatory requirements. So, for example, um, you've got uh, regulations like Sarbanes-Oxley, and it used to be that the common approach that um, IT organizations would take in trying to achieve compliance with Sarbanes-Oxley, um, you know, which has a requirement that you've got to be accountable for where your data is going and who has access to it. Um, they used to be, you know, the attempt to, to be compliant with that would be you know, setting a policy that says to their employees, thou shalt not let sensitive data outside the firewall. Well, you know, that doesn't work in today's world, right? Obviously, you know, start with your uh, your customers. Obviously, if you're using Salesforce right there, you know, you violated your own tenant in that you've got, um, you know, customers that, uh, customer names, customer information that is sitting outside of your firewall. So the realities of the world, and in fact, Sarbanes-Oxley, does not dictate a technology approach. All it says is need to be accountable for your data and what users have access to it. So you want to know, you know, what users within your organization are, are provisioned to which services, um, and you want to be able to monitor, you know, that they are, you know, continuing to use it, so that when you need to do the Sarbanes-Oxley um, audit report, you can run a report that shows here's all the users that have access to this application. Here are all the users that have access to that application. So, and then finally, you know, another thing to uh, uh, move on to spin management, um, but some of this kind of goes into governance in terms of a vendor management standpoint, is you want to um, be able to get a better handle in terms of what your budget should be um, based on, you know, forecasted demand. You want to have a better uh, feel for what the forecasted demand is going to be based on what current usage patterns tend to be. So again, the ability to, you know, track and audit things from, you know, that help you on the governance standpoint also help you from a spend management standpoint. So one thing I didn't mention on the governance standpoint is, you know, simple things like single sign-on, right? It's great convenience to end users, but more importantly from a governance standpoint, provides you an auditable record of who accessed what application or what service at what point in time, right? because you've got those login audits. Well, that same type of capability also makes it easier for you to do license optimization because, you know, if you've got, say, 100 seats of Salesforce uh, that you've, um, um, you know, procured, um, you know, in terms of a bucket of licenses, 
and you've got uh, the 99th sales uh, employee about to join the company, you need to think about, okay, do I need to order more licenses or can I run an audit of who has accessed Salesforce over the last month and determine, oh gosh, I've got 10 people that have never logged in to Salesforce, maybe I can recapture those unused licenses so I don't have to spend more on, on buying another batch of licenses. That's one simple example of many in terms of how you know, kind of this common reporting layer, this common auditing layer can help you not only with governance, but also with spin management as well. And then finally, from an operations management standpoint, again, this is around how can I be more flexible? How can I be more agile? Um, and this goes part and parcel with the other things we've talked about here, which is it's going to require, you know, clear governance in terms of what are the available infrastructure services that I can develop on, what application types, categories can go, where do I, you know, have any um, requirements in terms of uh, uh, geolocation, you know, uh, restrictions, um, you know, what is that common uh, dev test methodology resources, um, you know, a very simple thing. Okay, so maybe you have a develop, um, a pool of developers where, you know, there's, uh, there's like two or three different types of, um, of um, compute instances that they need you know, for their standard development process. And they're, you know, and they're constantly, you know, needing to, to turn one on and then turn one off after they've um, done whatever they're doing from a dev standpoint. You know, if every time they do that, they have to manually go in and set up those instances, that's not a, a very efficient model. So if you, however, have a service catalog, we can define common templates. You know, these are the three different versions of the development template for this particular application. Great, then your developer can go in there and they can say, yeah, I need, you know, version B of that template. Um, go ahead and, uh, you know, they go ahead and order that. It gets spun up, whether it's on VMware, OpenStack, or, or Azure, or AWS is, um, you know, can be determined in terms of what the policy is around that template. So, you know, we, we've kind of covered, um, so far we've talked about what are the different business model elements from a, a pricing and cost accounting standpoint. Um, we've talked about what are some of the key, you know, areas of concern in terms of imperatives, uh, you know, governance, uh, spin management, operations, um, efficiency, you know, being uh, kind of the three major buckets that uh, we created here. Now the natural question is, how do I do this, right? Now, how you do it has both a, um, a process answer in terms of um, how your organization is going to be structured um, and also, of course, a, a technology element in terms of how you're going to provide the capability to you know, provide a unified um, ability to you know, deliver, manage the delivery of lots of different services from lots of different providers, including yourselves. Um, as well as how you do the lifecycle management of your users across all of those different services over time. And so what, um, what Gartner, Forrester, really all the major analysts um, have been talking about for the past few years is that, um, you know, that uh, IT organizations are increasingly going to become cloud providers themselves, right? So putting a, you know, traditional cloud delivery self-service fulfillment type model on top of traditional IT services, but also aggregating or brokering, um, you know, services from third parties. So kind of get out of this uh, shadow IT dilemma that we're in now where it's sort of LLBs are going off on their own, you know, they're left to their own devices in terms of, you know, kind of picking uh, different uh, SaaS providers and, and sort of going it alone in terms of, uh, you know, not really being under the standard governance framework to really kind of bringing that under the governance um, IT umbrella, which is really one of the key things IT has traditionally provided on behalf of the organization is technology governance and, and enabling this to be, you know, this innovation to happen and by the LLBs in, in a manner where it's not causing undue risk to the organization. So anyway, this is what uh, Gardner and others refer to as IT becoming a service broker variably a, a cloud service broker within their organization where they're providing cloud services and aggregating cloud services. Um, naturally, we have a platform that, um, you know, provides uh, this kind of capability. 
Um, I'm not going to go through the details because in a minute here, Bob is going to show you a, a quick demo. But in essence, you'll see some of the major capabilities are a service catalog where you can present the different services. You can define policies in terms of, you know, which uh, departments, uh, which organizational units should be able to view which types of services when they view the catalog, you know, um, set up policies around, you know, roles-based access control um, in terms of who can have access to what, um, how you do your cost accounting, um, chargeback model, you know, through a unified billing engine. And also, so we kind of break it into the services delivery aspects as well as the services management aspects, which is more around how you manage infrastructure services, whether these are running out of your own data center or, and or being sourced from third-party providers such as Azure um, and or Amazon Web Services. So one quick um, case study and then I'll turn it over to Bob um, just to maybe kind of help you conceptualize this. So this is uh, this particular customer is a um, automotive parts manufacturer. They they sell uh, produce and sell parts. Um, I can't go into detail on it, but uh, essentially 90% of all new automobiles purchased um, or sold around the world um, have some elements of um, this company's uh, products. And if you're a gearhead like me and you like to you know work on your car and uh, go to O'Reilly's or, or other auto parts stores, you, you have bought a lot of their aftermarket products. So kind of a traditional multinational manufacturing company. And the issue you know, that they came to us with was, you know, listen, we've got a shadow IT slash cloud sprawl issue, and we're worried about um, you know, the governance you know, aspects of that. Now, we want to do all these other things, too, in terms of we want to become more agile in terms of our, you know, operations organization. We want to get a better handle on spin management. We want to be able to consolidate demand for, you know, things like document collaboration across the entire enterprise uh, versus letting LLPs go on their own to do it. So, you know, we, we want to impart this uh, broker model. So. Uh, we kind of broke this into two parts. The first thing we did is, um, you know, before we even got into the technology aspects, um, we did a workshop with them where, um, you know, we spent several days um, at their headquarters with their IT team, essentially talking about what the process flows are for governance and, um, you know, what are the different roles, service owners, uh, broker roles, uh, the idea of a cloud governance board, stuff like that. And then once we got the, kind of defined that uh, operating process, then we got into the technology and, and currently they're running a, a very large scale pilot where they are, um, you know, actually in sort of phase one of um, rolling out their own internal cloud service broker uh, type of model. So again, just an example of uh, kind of a real life scenario and increasingly uh, common scenario that we're seeing. So with that, I'm going to now turn it over to Bob. And um, I'll just, while Bob is setting up here, I'll just uh, kind of caution you that normally a, doing a, um, a demo of our platform is something that uh, generally will take an hour to an hour and a half to really do a drill down. Bob's going to try to squeeze that into 15 or 20 minutes. So <laughs> you're not going to see anything, you're not going to see everything that we normally show. But. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Um, so I have about 15 minutes, it looks like here. I'm going to do as much as I can. I should be able to touch on probably six of the key key points uh, that Steve had mentioned around enabling um, hybrid IT. Um, the first thing I want to talk about is having a catalog. Um, you know, it's important when, when managing hybrid IT not to have multiple catalogs and multiple places for your end users to be going to. Um, you really want to have one. So that one catalog has to support all of the services and our products that you're offering could be your own internal infrastructure as a service or public cloud services like Amazon or Azure, um, as well as, you know, any SaaS offerings like Salesforce or Box, um, but also, you know, more traditional uh, IT and more of the bimodal IT vein uh, for things like, you know, maybe your own access to your ERP system um, or even some, some hardware products that you might be offering. And so your catalog, um, you know, and another thing, if you if you you've started down the, the path here and, and you already have some catalogs, or, or maybe you have one catalog, you've done the work to integrate everything into one catalog, 
any new systems you bring on need to be able to integrate into that, right? So that you maintain that value of having just one catalog. So whether you have a standalone uh, single catalog system already, or um, if you if you're creating one from scratch or, or getting one brand new, you want that to support all of the different products and services that your trig offers as IT. Um, so you want it to to have things like you know um, Box, as I mentioned, you know the software as a service for Box or Salesforce. You also want it to have that infrastructure as a service. Maybe it's public infrastructure like Azure, um, or, or you know, and, and more advanced uh, infrastructure as a service like Elastic Compute, things like running on Amazon or OpenStack. You know, any of the different cloud providers that you have, you might have your own private OpenStack, or that might be public as well. Uh, additionally, you know, here here you see an example of a terminal, whether it's uh, a point of sale terminal that you want to have a branch office buy or lease. Um, that's something that you want to kind of like to be able to support, etc. There could be other things too. You might have bundles of items where you have multiple um, multiple products that are available. Could be you know a couple of softwares and service offerings that come together, or maybe software with a hardware bundle, that sort of thing. Um, you want that supported. You'll also want, of course. To really handle any of the the billing models of that, and if we go through, you'll see that. Now, if you have a lot of products, you want to be able to, you know, obviously allow your employees to search for them or look at the different categories. Maybe, you know, if you have many uh, different products, you want to see them grouped in by category, maybe even by provider. Okay. Now, <clears throat> let's go ahead and take a look at you know the process of actually as an end user going and procuring a service maybe requesting it um, from an admin who's going to approve it and along the way we're also going to be talking about some budgeting functionality because that's going to be important too in terms of chargeback to LBs so let's look at some of these services in here maybe we have um, you know like McAfee SAS endpoint protection or something that you might have you want to be able to drill in get more information about the product that sort of thing see the price, maybe add to the cart, or you know, or other products in here, right? There's different things. Let's go ahead and take a look at uh, Everware. Here's an example of one. Again, looking at more details, the information you want. You want, to be able, you want to be able to catalog this and provide information, whether it's text like this, or links, or graphics, or videos, those sorts of things. Your catalog needs to be able to support that, like Gemcracker does. Okay. Um, so let's go ahead and add this one to the cart. Let's go ahead and you know purchase this, or at least make a request to purchase it. And and here's where you're going to be able to see the different types of billing models, whether it's just a single a chargeback fee, could be a monthly fee or a one-time charge, setup charges, whatever it is. You want to be able to see those items uh, itemized, you know those those costs itemized and show. Maybe you want to buy multiple things at once or Christmas once. So you know, classic shopping cards allows you to continue shopping or adjust quantities is important. In this case, I'm just going to go ahead and, and proceed here. And since we're really talking about you know internal IT, there's no no concept of you know using a credit card really. It's all about um, using budgeting. And so you want to do something like you know use a budget code, pick one of the budget codes that you have. Now these budgets could be broken up any number of ways, and so your platform needs to you know support the flexibility you have, whether it be per project, um, based on the department. Or, or any combination of those items, you want to be able to have flexible budgeting so that um, you know your your business requirements are not hampering uh, are not hampered by the technology choices you made. So in this case, let's go ahead and pick um, let's pick one that I know is actually running out of budget. So I want to show you some functionality that's also pretty important. So I'll pick this marketing budget. It's not like marketing ever goes over budget or anything, right, Steve? But I'll go ahead and uh, proceed here. And you know when I'm making this purchase, oh look at that! I'm, I'm advised that I've exceeded the budget. Dang it! Now you don't want to be a painful IT organization and be a gate for everything and, and slow things down. And so it's probably smart up, just, <laughs> just to allow um, your end users to at least be advised that they're going over the budget and allow them to proceed. If you want to put some other controls in there requiring extra approvals, you know, that's something that the platform should support. Um, and so you should be able to define those those rules as well. Okay. So there you see I've I've made that purchase or business I've requested it. Now <clears throat> you'll normally like I mentioned want to have a, a service request sort of model where um, the admin would come in. Now since I am admin I can see everything here so I can demo this pretty quickly. 
Um, so I'm coming to manage requests. It's something that I would have received an email on notifying me that there's a request been made. If you bring me into the screen here, look at this product with the approvals pending, get information about it, who's, who's tried to purchase it, et cetera, what's it cost. And I can either approve it or reject it. In this case, I'll approve it. But, you know, as an admin, it's also important that I see information um, about the budget status, and, and there you go. We see the, the notification here as well. So, Bob, I mean, do you have to do this for every service request? Uh, it seems like a, you'd be spending all your time just approving uh, requests. Well, it, it, or can you automate it? It could be automated, and you could have rules defined where only if the budget is being exceeded, you require approval, or based on some, uh, you know, some user parameters. There's various ways to do it. You don't have to, you know, to gate every request, but, um, you know, it is important to make sure that you're providing some level of governance over this. So having right. somebody make these, you know, manage these requests um, makes sense. Now, having one platform to make the request, to approve the request, and, and to, to access all the services makes it simpler than having to go to 10 different systems and do swivel chair integration and get approvals and all that. Having it all in one really makes the process a lot faster. Okay. So there you see I've gone and... Um, made the request and it's actually I've gone and approved it so that now the user is able to go into the dashboard and um, after the admin might assign that license off to the user they would be able to go and, and log into that service. Okay. Um, now before I, I, I move into sort of the next thing about single sign-on the importance there I do want to talk about the importance of you know not only having all the catalog items here and, and the catalogs that <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> items that are important for the users, but you're going to have different groups that really don't need to see all the catalog items. So you want to have some control over that, right? You don't necessarily want to show your engineer's sales force and show your engineers um, various development tool services that might be available, like some platform as a service. And so here, um, your platform is really going to need to provide some catalog management. So by being able to define the, the applications of the services per department or per some organizational unit, you're going to be able to fil you know, filter out the things that are just noise to users. As an example, let me show you. I have in another browser I've signed in um, as a user called Jim George. He's an IT ops. He's more of an IT guy. These are the five services that he currently sees. But maybe um, we want to go and, and add something to that or remove it, whatever. As the admin, I can come in, <clears throat> knowing that Jim is part of the, the contractor department, I come in and view the details and actually modify the products that are being offered. Maybe IT ops doesn't need Salesforce, but they do need maybe that elasticity stack um, or some other features. So on the left-hand side here, we have the, the list of products that are potentially in the, in the catalog, and on the right-hand side, you see what has been selected um, for that user. Maybe we'll add SharePoint. I come in, save and finish. I've now gone and very quickly changed the, the apps. I've added and deleted some, so that now the contactor should have six applications available to it in the catalog. If I switch back to that user who's in the contractor uh, group, and I click on catalog, we'll now see that there are six items and they have changed a bit with elasticity uh, coming in as well as um, SharePoint and Exchange. <clears throat> so give, providing that catalog management is important. Um, really letting people, especially if you, have, if you have a lot of services you want to be offering, letting them focus in on what they should be seeing and not get distracted um, by other services that are really not appropriate for them. So you can do that on an individual basis, but also on a departmental basis in terms of your policies, right? You should the yeah, you know, it usually makes sense to do it more at a group level, especially if you're a large enterprise. You don't want to be defining custom catalogs from one of your thousand users. Yeah. Yeah. So at a department level or some other organization level, it makes more sense. Okay, which I guess IT folks are used to because it's similar to, like, if they use Active Directory, they might be kind of going through that, you know, already. That's exactly right. In Active Directory, you have various groups to use, whether they be security groups or, or permissions groups. And, and actually, that's a really good segue because, you know, part of the solution here is providing some sort of single sign-on and user management for that. So whether you have an active directory, which most large enterprises do, but not all, uh, they might use other directory services, other LDAP-based services, and, and they might have already a single sign-on um, system, you know, maybe something from Octo or whatever, where 
that users are able to single sign on and, and don't have to try to remember or write down their credentials and passwords, creating a real security risk um, for all of those different applications they might be using. So single sign-on really brings a lot of value to the organization in terms of governance and, and risk reduction. And so if you look here as, as a user, I have some subscriptions myself, and I should be able to go and single sign-on into things like Box, as an example. So here you see just by a single click from within the GeoCrack platform, I'm able to go and single sign-on into any services that have been purchased and assigned to me. Now, not everybody wants to see, I'll admit that it's not necessarily ideal that everybody has to come into Jamcracker to then single sign on into those services. And via various integration methods with Active Directory Federation services, for example. SAML or anything like that, right? Anything SAML-based, really. Our, our platform can act as both a service provider and an identity provider, including methods of chaining so that users can just access the bookmarks that they used to doing, and it will single sign them on but it will actually pass the request through the Jamcracker platform so that the Jamcracker is made aware of the accesses for later on doing your auditing and understanding who's using what to help you govern um, the usage of the licenses that you have. Yeah, I guess from a user management standpoint, the fact that we're integrated with, you know, we can integrate with uh, an on-prem Active Directory or with their Azure Active Directory means you don't have to be managing users in two different areas. You just manage it in your directory like you always do and we pick it up. That's the key point. You want the teams who already are using tools to keep using those tools. You don't want to have to change it for everybody, right? So Active Directory manages all the users in the platform when, or in, in the organization. When somebody joins the company, an Active Directory user account is created. They're added to certain groups. That's the way IT wants to do it. You don't want to change it for them. And our platform does integrate into that so that those same processes are in place. You can define the roles and the departments within Active Directory that then flow down into the Jamcrack platform, giving users the privileges and authorization to access the different services and all the functions of the Jamcrack platform. Okay. Very good. That's a great, uh, great point. Um, now, along the way, I showed you that user experience for for budgeting, right? You 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 specify the budget when you're trying to make the request and the the admin is also, um, who's approving the request, also sees that and is alerted to any, any of those uh, budgets that might have been exceeded. And the budgeting really, you know, you need to be able to manage that easily. So whether you already have a budgeting system, um, your platform would need to maybe integrate into that so that, you know, you're still within a single platform, within a single place where you're ordering the services, you can still get information about those budgets that are available and how much has been used. Um, but if you don't already have that, but it's something that you would want, our platform provides that out of the box as well, so you could do things like, you know, view the utilization um, against the budgets that have, that have been occurred, that have occurred. Um, so as an example here, for the month of December, I have these budget codes active, and I can see what has been assigned and what has actually been used for each of those budgets. Uh, and look, see, there you go, marketing is allocated 100, and they've used 244. That looks about right. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, you know, having a showback report, being able to track it all in one spot is really um, important functionality in, instead of having to do all sorts of dances with financial software trying to, to, to have to determine that. Now, you also want to be able to define those budgets, right, and, and, and add them into the system. If, you, if you're doing it standalone, then we have a simple utility here just to use an Excel file where you define the, the time frame, the budget code, the description, the allocated amounts, and any threshold points where alerts would be generated if you're um, coming there to exceeding uh, the budgetary threshold. So just by, you know, making modifications to this um, and, and uploading that, you then have those budgets appearing when users are selecting and admins are approving um, that budget. So that's, you know, budget and spend management really go together. It's, it's all about um, at the order time as well as from an ongoing financial management being able to track those um, in one place very easily as opposed to having them jump across the 15 different systems to try to see what your spend is. So from an operations manager perspective, you, you got to think of, um, when you talk about cloud services, you think about it in two ways. You have sort of subscription management for software as a service offering. So here's where you see what subscriptions you have, what you've purchased, um, and are being used. So if you have somebody coming in and you know they're going to need uh, this everywhere product, good, I know I have two licenses available, I'm okay there. But like Stephen mentioned earlier, if you purchased 100 and you're already at 99 and you know you're bringing on a few salespeople, you're probably going to want to go and, and add a few more 
uh, licenses get ahead of that because sometimes that procurement can take a long time with the vendor. Um, but you know, it's really important to be able to manage that here so you can assign things off to users, unsubscribe totally, etc. Here's where you get into operations management for all of your SaaS offerings in one screen. Okay? From an infrastructure as a service perspective, there's various functionalities you want there. Now, in addition to just being able to order infrastructure as a service, um, well, I'm running a little low on time, so I can't really show you too much here, but you could do things like order stacks, right? And order stacks that could be elastic, that can scale up or scale out, um, or on multiple clouds, et cetera. You, you want that in the catalog, but then you'll also want to operationally manage it, right? So you might look at the, the console. You want to say, okay, what are the cloud resources being used? What's our spend? What's the most common items? Get a good dashboard view into things like what's the most common usage and get usage data from each of the services, that, that each of the cloud providers that you have. Um, you might also want to go um, and look at the instances that are at currently running and perform you know, lifecycle management on them. So as you can see here in this dashboard, I have a couple of instances running. I can come and stop, terminate, reboot. That's your basic lifecycle management on, on, on this VM. And you'll see here I have OpenStack, I have Amazon, I have Azure. I have them all on one screen. You know, there's Amazon has dozens and dozens of services. And if you need and want to use those advanced services, you know, there aren't any parallels for a lot of these services. Um, as you see, I'm just single signing on right into the Amazon console from within our platform. You know, Azure doesn't offer all of these, most of these, you know, everybody's going to, each of the cloud providers are going to have their own set, with Amazon obviously, I think, being the richest um, set here. <clears throat> so if you are going to need those, you still need easy access into them, and you can still use those using our platform. And really, any of the billing, any of the charges that you incur for using these services will get pulled into our platform thanks to the API integration that we have and prevent and provide it back um, in, you know, charge back in budgeting reports. Now, um, and, you know, having that vendor console access for whatever cloud providers um, you want to, to offer that to really gives you the ability to take advantage of all of the services. But for the most part, most of the time, you're going to want a simpler interface for most of these to just come in and be able to do the common things like that lifecycle management or launching a secure shell cell session. <laughs> yeah, that ten times fast. <laughs> into into the virtual machines to get information about that, such as that I did there. Um, look at the volumes. You know, maybe I, I have attached some volumes. Maybe I want to attach a new one or attach other existing volumes. Maybe I have some some data, some test data, some binaries on some volumes that I want to attach. You, know, you want that sort of operations management for your virtual machines. Maybe you want to resize it. Maybe uh, this machine, you know, um, you're going to be getting some increased usage and you want to manually do it ahead of time. Or, you know, if you knew that it was maybe something or from a retail point of view, if you're a retail company, um, you want to set this up as an elasticity stack, um, you want the flexibility to do that as well. And so, you know, having this, um, having common functions that you're going to need a lot of the time within infrastructure as a service is very important. You want image management, you want to manage security groups or, or firewall rules. Um, it may be showing some monitoring functionality, uh, monitoring specific VMs, you know, production VMs that, uh, that you have going and you want to look at, you know, any alarms that are occurring and be able to manage that. Those are also important. Um, and just, I know I'm, I've run out of time, but um, I just wanted to show one more thing here. All of this is, is important to provide within the context of, of role-based access control. Every user should be assigned a role that determines what functions they can see in the platform. You don't really necessarily want finance people to be able to come in and view and manage instances um, or, you know, regular sales people come in and, and view invoices and payments for the cloud provide, for, for the different cloud uh, and, and services that you're offering. And so you want to be able to come in and, and edit some of the different roles, maybe add additional roles or edit ones that occur and adjust the permissions so that for any of the, those roles, you then have a granular permission set helping to control what those users in that role can actually um, work with. And this needs to work you know, across the organization so that every user is assigned some sort of a role, like a default role of end user, um, or other roles that give them more functionality um, appropriate for their, their function within the organization. So just to recap, I run out of time here. You know, catalog management, being able to manage that uh, by group per function, having that integrated with, with budgeting, uh, and approval processes for that, 
single sign-on operations management for both software as a service and infrastructure as a service, and having that all being affected and your access to the platform governed by role-based access control, I think are all some of the main, main points of really enabling a hybrid IT and bimodal IT um, effectively. So with that, um, that's, <clears throat> that's it for me. Okay, great. Thanks, Bob. And, you know, we, we always run the risk, and I think we've probably done that here in terms of trying to shove 20 pounds of um, information in a 10-pound sack, but uh, I think you did a great job showing a lot in a little bit of time. But obviously there's a lot more that uh, we weren't able to show. So if you have an interest in, in kind of drilling down and in having a, a more of a relaxed conversation with us about the platform <laughs> demo, we'd be happy to do that. Um, so just, uh, I'm not going to do any kind of sales pitch or chest thumping here um, other than just to say that uh, we hope you got the sense that this is something that we've been involved in and have put a lot of deep thinking uh, around because we have been focused on this type of, um, you know, issue scenario since our founding back in 1999. Now, it's been called different things, you know, at different times, cloud, application service provider, hybrid IT, real-time IT, whatever the case, and we've, we've kind of weathered all those different uh, marketing terms. But I think, you know, what has stayed consistent is, is the things that we've been focused on in terms of providing platform um, and the knowledge base around how do you set up a model where you can aggregate, um, you know, third-party services as well as cloud-enable um, your own existing services and provide, you know, unified delivery and unified lifecycle management of those services to your users. So that's that's what we're about, and um, we've done it for lots of different companies, um, some of which are, are shown here. So really what we've talked about in this uh, webinar has, uh, has been kind of hopefully provoking some thinking um, on your part in terms of, um, you know, your journey that maybe will help you, your journey uh, towards hybrid IT. Uh, want to stress again that uh, as much as we love to talk about technology and love to play with technology, technology is just one element of it. Um, it's also important to think about how this impacts your organization. Um, we'd be happy to work with you across both fronts. We've, um, as I've alluded to, um, you know, not only can we provide you the platform, but we can also provide you the knowledge base um, to help you um, transform your IT organization towards more of a hybrid IT model. And I think in the process of doing that, um, you'll find that you'll be in a much better position to help the overall organization in terms of making their business transformation to more of a services-based uh, type of economy. So with that, I'm, we've got a lot of questions here. I'm, I'm just going to try to squeeze in a, a few here, if you bear with me, Tony. Um, first couple are a couple of house court, uh, keeping ones, but I think important. Uh, number one, will there be recording? If there will, we'll send that out in the next few days. Uh, next one, we've had a couple folks ask for a copy of the slides. Um, yeah, we'll go ahead and, and email those to you. Um, if others of, of you um, would also like um, a copy of the slides, you can send us an, uh, an email at information at jamcracker.com. Uh, a couple other things. Uh, good question. We didn't even talk about this. What, what are the different options I have in deploying a hybrid IT cloud service broker type of um, platform? So uh, maybe I'll take that and then Bob add in if you have any uh, other thoughts. Uh, great question. You can do this. Uh, in fact, we support it uh, however you want to do it, basically. But we can offer it as a essentially a SaaS type service. We can offer it as a managed service. Um, and if you want to run this on-prem, uh, we can do that. Generally, uh, what we find with our customers, it's, it's some combination of all of that, maybe at different times, almost kind of a build-operate transfer. Yeah, that, that's what I wanted to say. Oftentimes, just to get started, I want to start with a either a hosted or a SaaS model. Maybe they're not comfortable with SaaS because there's a lot of important data in here. So a hosted model that we can run, turn up, and manage for you. And then later on, as you become, get better trade, you're more comfortable with it, you can take over the management of that or even bring it in-house. Either way. Okay. And, and then one other question that I'll address here, the rest will follow up with you on email um, individually. But um, uh, since we are a multinational company, we have business units uh, that own in different countries, uh, many of whom run their own IT. We want to move more towards the shared services model. 
how do we support different languages, needs, things like that. That's really important, and that's you know can be really difficult, especially if you're trying to build your own. Having a platform that already has that globalization built in for different currencies, time zones, uh, different languages, and giving users the option of picking the language that they want. In Canada, for instance, it could be French or English. You know, in, in Belgium, it could be different different languages, etc. Um, you really need a, pro, uh, a platform that can handle that globalization. You're not repeating the same thing over and over in different different locations. Great. So with that, uh, we're going to uh, wrap this up. So Tony, back over to you.